0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew 18. When you find it, please stand with me to read God's Word. If you're reading all of Matthew 18 this morning. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling a child to him, he put Him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you want, to, you want to change your people by your word. And thank you, Lord, that we can be here listening to your word. We pray now that the words that come out of my mouth uh, in these next moments would be words that honor you and that uh, explain accurately your word and honor you. And glorify you. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that our lives would be a testimony to the value of knowing Christ. Let me pray in His name. Amen. Well, please be seated. And when I was a kid, I always wanted to be taller. I was a short kid and easy to get picked on because I was short and lightweight. And so I, I always wanted to be bigger. And I always thought it would be cool to be able to walk on stilts. You know, put some stilts on and get bigger. Maybe those kids that would pick on me wouldn't pick on me anymore. And so I know, I remember a couple times when I was a kid, I'd be in the backyard trying to rig up some stilts. They never worked. I didn't have any big accident with those. It just, it just never worked. Um, but the, the reason why is because they were... They were fake. They were temporary. It was temporary growth. It wasn't real growth. I didn't really get taller. Then I got into high school and I didn't grow either. I think I was five foot, maybe five foot and like 90 pounds when I was a freshman. I was a little guy, and, and so there was, this, there was this I don't know if you'd call it a fad or a style or whatever at that time. Where you would wear tight polyester pants with a tight polyester shirt, uh, the only part about the pants that weren 't tight were the big big bell bottoms at the bottom and, and then to finish off the the ensemble you 'd have to put on really tall platform shoes this is for for men for 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 guys and my My sisters and my mom uh, talked me into the fact that I looked really good in this outfit and so there are pictures there are pictures of me at a wedding and me going to an event at school or whatever where I'm wearing the tight pants and the tight shirt all polyester and bright colors and, and the platform shoes and I was tall oh and I had an afro so I was even taller only problem was when I went swimming the afro went down And when I took off the shoes, I got shorter. None of that was a a, a fix. It didn't grow me. I wasn't bigger. I just looked bigger in pictures. And really ridiculous, uh, by the way. I guess not back then, but just now. We talk a lot about growth. Uh, it, It people want to grow personally people want to grow uh, as a as a family or as a household Uh, you you want your your business to grow you want you want your community to grow and then churches talk about growth church growth I don't know anyone who goes to Grace Church that would say well I don't want us to grow either in in depth or in numbers I don't think many people would say that we talk a lot about growth but there's there's a lot of ways you can make growth happen you can put stilts on You can grow a fro, put on platform shoes, and and you can do all sorts of things to make growth happen. But we want growth that comes from God. Like Paul said, he goes, you know, I planted Apollos' waters, but God was causing the growth. That's the kind of growth we want. Now, for the past several weeks, we have taken a break from our exposition of Matthew's Gospel to focus on God's amazing love. And we've seen that Amazing love uh, In the death of Christ in, in his work on the cross To pay for our sins To substitute himself in our place We saw his amazing love In the, in the life of The resurrection life of Christ and, and the finished work of Christ In the death, burial, and resurrection And promised return of our Savior And, and we've seen how amazing God's love is in that And, and even last week as, as Doug explained so well The mercy of Christ his, his deep and abiding mercy towards us. So now we're reconnecting and reengaging with Matthew's gospel, but we would really be in Matthew 19. And we've gone verse by verse through this whole chapter 18. The reason why I want us to stay here today is because I want us to take a look back and, and really glean through the chapter. Glean through the chapter and see what we can see. I, I want us to to focus on on some big ideas that are in this chapter. And then put those together and see what we we can see. And I hope that what you see is that what we've been seeing in Matthew 18 is God's amazing love in action, in and through His people, in and through His covenant community, in and through His church. There's a a key phrase that jesus spoke in verse in verse 20 look at that he said where two or three are gathered in my name there i am among them and it's interesting that jesus spoke these words when he was with them but he was basically saying i'm going to be with you he's speaking of a time future when when the church would be in operation and he would not be there anymore physically present but that he would be with them spiritually he he was giving them assurance and and really this chapter when you look at it is speaking of of the kingdom in the first four verses and then specifically the church in the remainder of the verses in this chapter in in chapters 18 19 and 20 it's the fourth of five discourses that Jesus gives that is recorded in Matthew uh, Matthew's gospel and Jesus is is speaking of life in his transformed covenant community in the church and 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 in the midst of questions that come his way both sincere and insincere Jesus makes it really clear how his church is to operate and then how his church will grow what we've seen in Matthew 18 is that Jesus speaks the truth in love to his people and he wants his people operating in love, identified by love, having that be the overriding motivation. Like 2 Corinthians 5 says, the love of Christ constrains us, the love of Christ controls us. This is what that Jesus is pointing to and so in this chapter we have seen Jesus speak about Humility. And about dependence upon him and then about caring for others in the body so much that you wouldn't cause them to stumble and that you would actually go in search for them if they stray and then he took a long time talking about forgiveness and reconciliation and and repentance you know I've come to love Matthew 18 more than I ever have before and and I know you know, for me now, it's so much more than the chapter that church discipline is found in. I mean, how many times do we quote Matthew 18 outside the context of church discipline as we know it? Or some people will call it church good stuff. But what we've done is we've looked at these individual aspects and facets of this chapter, but I wanted us to see it as a unified teaching, as a unified whole. And And put that teaching together as a whole, and what you see there then will be a beautiful, beautifully balanced picture of Jesus' love in action. It is a picture in questions and in answers and in parables of god's amazing love in Christ at work in and through his people. So I want you to see uh, three big ideas that lead to growth that glorifies God uh, three things and I want first of all to point out three key words to you first of all look in verse 4 verse 4 I want you to notice the word humbles whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven so we're going to look at that the first four verses the idea of humble trusting Christ then the second word I want you to look at is in verse 13 it's the word rejoices when he finds the strain, one he rejoices over it we're going to look at that word And that will frame the next big idea. And then one more word I want you to look at. Verse 33. Mercy. When Jesus is retelling, when he's telling a parable, and he says, should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king speaking to the servant. Jesus, in essence, speaking to us. So we're going to look at these three words, humbles and rejoices and mercy in greater detail and put them together. And what you see is this And this is like the three big ideas all put into one phrase. It's, it's what God wants for His church as He is speaking to us in Matthew 18. He wants us to humbly trust Jesus, first of all. Humbly trust Jesus and then joyfully care for others and mercifully forgive offenses so that His church would grow in His love. That's what God wants. That's what we've been seeing in Matthew 18 for, for many weeks now. When a Christian humbly trusts Jesus and, and joyfully cares for other people and mercifully forgives offenses, they, pro, they are, in essence, proclaiming Christ's lordship. Much like Peter did in Matthew 16 when he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God. You are my Savior. You're my only hope. When you do these things, you are proclaiming Christ's lordship and Christ grows his church. You don't have to put stilts on. You don't have to grow a fro, crazy haircut, crazy clothes, do something weird. You just have to do what Jesus says and he will grow his church. So let's take a closer look at each one of these. We'll look at the first four verses first. The idea that God wants us to humbly trust Jesus. Verses one through four. So the disciples come to Jesus, verse 1, and ask him a question Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They had seen Peter and John getting some special attention, some prominence, and so they're asking this question Who's the greatest? And he responds by setting a child in the midst of them as an object lesson a live child set in the midst. We got children here in the service. Point to one of the kids and say, and, and Jesus is saying, You got to humble yourself like this child. Children are humble. Children are dependent. Children, you know, I, I see the kids right now and they're sitting with their mom and dad. They're dependent upon their mom and dad. I see the kids right now and they're not jumping up and down saying, Look at me, look at me. I'm the most important person in here. And they realize they're shorter. It's okay, kids. You'll grow. Jesus says, you humble yourself, you become like a a humble, dependent, trusting child. And you'll be great. You'll experience true greatness. Well, look at that word humble, humbles. That word humbles means to make small, means to make insignificant versus great. So the question is, Who's the greatest? And Jesus takes them all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Humble means to make lower. To be lower versus higher. It's reverse stilts. It's it's not calling attention to yourself. It's not trying to be something you're not. It's not trying to be first. Jesus says you got to humbly trust. See, if you... He's talking about entrance into the kingdom. You want to get in the door? By the way, he's the door. You want to get in? You want to get in? you got to humble yourself like a child. I want to point out a couple things about this idea of humbling ourselves and trusting Christ, humbly trusting Jesus. Verse 3. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn... Unless you turn, unless unless you're converted, it literally means to be changed. So what happens is when you humbly trust Jesus, life change happens. Anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old has passed away. New things have come. A new creation in Christ. Life change happens when you humbly trust in Christ you get new life in christ but what also happens is continued change ongoing change look at verse 3 again truly i say to you unless you turn unless you're changed unless you're converted and become look at that word become become like children it's a process it's just like us in in our life in christ if you're a believer you know that when you came to faith in christ it the, the 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 making you like christ wasn't all done was just beginning you become secure in Christ you're a part of his family but now begins a lifelong uh, a lifelong process by which God works on you to conform you to the image of Christ sometimes we can't see that in our lives we think how could God be doing that to me look at me you look in the mirror and you think no this this isn't Christ like and, and much much more we look at other people and we think there is no way. <laughs> There's no way God is making that person like Christ. They're the most un like person I know. We look at people in the church sometimes, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we, 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 we even hate them sometimes, and we think there is no way. But do you realize that just if you're a believer, God is conforming you to the image of Christ, and every other believer, even the ones that you don't like, he's conforming them to the image of Christ? Wow. Wow. It's happening. It's a process. It's life change, but then ongoing change. Yes, you can change. There is power to change in Christ. He can change you. You're sitting here this morning going, but I've been this way for 50 years. Oh, you're not that old? Okay, 30 years. Oh, you're not that old? Okay, 10 years. I am stuck in a rut. I can't change. And by the way, my spouse... Yeah, You seen them lately? God can change the person who is humbly trusting Him. Ongoing life in Christ. Being conformed to Christ's image. You know, I have found that humble trust only happens when I admit my condition. It only happens when a person admits their true condition. It's like if you're really sick and everyone else can see it and you're like, I'm not going to the doctor. Then you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have blah, blah, blah. And you say, no, I don't. That doctor's wrong. I'm going to go get another opinion. And that doctor tells you and all these doctors tell you and everyone tells you, but you say, no, I'm not sick. Then you die. And then everyone goes, he was sick. You got to admit your condition, but then you can't just say, yeah, I'm sick but I'm not going to take the medicine. I don't need medicine. Well, the, the doctor's saying, take this medicine. You know, I don't want to take that medicine. So you go to another doctor, and he says, take this medicine. He, I don't want, no, they're wrong. You are another one? Okay, so I'll take that medicine. You got you to gotta, uh, you admit your need. You need, oh, you might even say, I don't even need to go to the doctor. Well, you need a physician. You know, plenty of people will say, I know I'm messed up, but I don't need Jesus. Well, you're going to get un- messed up then. You gotta have, you, Jesus is the only hope. And you've got to accept the cure. You've got to take that medicine. You've got to take the shot. Man, when I was a kid, I hated shots. I hated needles. I still do. They would put them in my posterior or my arm. I remember we had this one nurse we would go to, um, uh, she, she gave shots like they were like giving you candy. Couldn't feel it. It was awesome. Then we had this other nurse that would pound it in with a sledgehammer. You felt it. You knew you, knew you were getting a shot. You got to take the cure. You got to take the course of treatment. You, you must, and, and what is that? To, to humbly believe in Christ. It's to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what it is. It's placed your trust in Jesus and you will be saved. It is, it is yield to Christ and you will be saved. It is see him as your only hope and you will be saved. That's humble trust in Christ. And then just stick with Christ. Just like a child sticks with his mommy or his daddy. When I trust in Jesus, I trust myself less let's look at the second big idea the first big idea is humble trust in christ but the second big idea we see in verses 5 through 14 it's that god wants us to joyfully care for other people you like that joyfully care for other people not begrudgingly not well uh kicking and screamingly but joyfully caring for others and you see in the, in verses 5 through 9 the idea of of no stumbling you can't trip other people up um Basically, Jesus says, if you receive one such child in my name, you receive me. Receive literally means to receive into fellowship. Receive them into fellowship. But you cause one of these little ones to believe in me to sin. The sin is the same word as temptations, and it's the idea of a stumbling block. It's, it's, it's building up versus tearing down. We went on an elders retreat in February. And I was looking back through my journal uh, just last night and i was reading some of my notes that i'd written down while we were gone and uh, for myself i can i can honestly tell you that 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 time was was one of the was was a precious time because we got to share our hearts with each other we got to be vulnerable with one another and transparent uh, in god's presence but also with each other and there was this there was this joyful care there's no stumbling that's the rule it's the, it's, the, it's the no tripping rule Every I think every sport has it you, you, there's the no tripping rule and if, if, if you do trip you get penalized you're not supposed to trip especially your own teammates right but the thing you can do is search search verses 10 through 14 see no stumbling but yes searching You can go searching for those that stray. I was thinking about this this week and I thought sometimes the ones who stray are the ones we stumbled. You cause someone to stumble and then they end up straying. You should go. You should go and get them. Bring them back. Yes, searching. Jesus says, don't despise. Verse 10. Do not despise. Don't think nothing of those who believe in me. They're valuable. They're valuable. Important. They're, they're treasured. Don't think nothing of them. Don't despise one of these little ones. Little ones here means believers. Those who believe in Him. And He says, I, In heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who was in heaven. So they're precious in His sight, but they're also protected. They're His possessions. They're his, he possesses them, but He also protects them. Their angels... Uh, see the face of my father who is in heaven there there's a guarding that is going on that god is guarding his his children so something to lobby for would be um, vote no on stumbling and yes on on searching elections are coming uh, you know in, in in coming months and vote no on stumbling in the body of christ vote yes though on searching on searching you know the Coast Guard has an official motto, and it's it's a Semper Paratus. It it means always ready. It's for those they were they were they were designed to go and help those who go to the sea in ships, and and they go and, and they rescue people when they're in danger and when they're when they're when their caps the vessel capsizes. Well, there's an unofficial motto of the U.S. Coast Guard, and it, it goes like this: You have to go out. You don't have to go come back. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. You've got to go in search. It's just like us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So that when you come to faith in Christ, you realize you were lost and you have been found. It's like the prodigal son. My son and the fathers and my my son, which was lost, has been found. We gotta joyfully care for others in the body of Christ. Uh, verse 13, when he finds it truly, I say he rejoices, he's happy. You know, you could, you could actually put another word in, in there for joyfully, if you want. It's the word unselfishly. You could just say, uh, unselfishly care for others, because I have found that the most, the most joyful people are the most unselfish people. The, the, the most, the, the, The people that are the the most unhappy in life that I have run into are the ones that are the most self-centered. The people that are the most sour are the ones that are focused on themselves. But I have found that those who are other-oriented are are joyful. Because they're giving out and and they're not looking in the mirror all the time. It's interesting. I was... um, was, uh, in the car with my, my youngest With my baby My nine year old baby Sophie yesterday And she had this little Leaf thing in her hand And, and I, I said Let me see this And then uh, the car was stopped And, I, and I'm like Close your eyes And tell me it when, if you can feel The edge of this And, and, and I just put it on The tip of her nose She goes, It's on my nose And then I'm like Okay Oh it's on my cheek it's on my, and, and barely even touching You notice how sensitive Our skin is To touch And And You know, some people are too sensitive, -sensitive, hypersensitive, and uh, some people have lost all feeling. So when you're dealing with people in the body of Christ, and you go, I don't want to stumble anybody, and I'm going to search for the lost, sometimes though you realize some people are hypersensitive some people don't have any feelings some people are numb some people are scarred notice that scarred skin is, is, uh, is tougher to, to break but more sensitive you know and selfishness runs rampant I know I am I'm a selfish person you know we all run into people that l- uh, know how to get their elbows on the table and chow down on everybody else's attention or everybody else's stuff I know I understand but some people actually it's almost like they wear a sign it just says, kick me, you know? Or, or other people wear a sign that says, notice me. I saw a guy the other day and he was carrying a big old snake. And I said to the people I was with, you know what that snake is? It's a big sign saying, please look at me, please notice me. I got a snake. And I'm walking down the street with it. Some, uh, some people wear signs that say, I love me. Just love me, please love me. you know, I think almost all of our clothes that we wear has little tags in them they tell you the brand or whatever and then there's care instructions the little tag on the back we never look at those, do we? I don't Just throw it in, right? And, but the care instructions, a lot of times they'll say handle with care well every person in the body of Christ has a little handle with care tag handle with care You know, uh, the shepherd that goes and looks for the wandering sheep rejoices. It's interesting that Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that that Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to the cross and despised its shame. Jesus also uh, said something in John 15 about joy verse 11 he said these things I've spoken to you this whole idea about him being the the, uh, the, the vine and and uh, and we're the, the branches and we need to abide in him he said I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full in that same context he says you know what you gotta you can't just say you follow me you gotta do what I say you gotta obey me well one of the ways is by joyfully caring for other people unselfish care, no stumbling, no harmful things. If you wonder if you're going to do something that might stumble someone and and you're in doubt, just don't do it. That's the general rule. When in doubt, don't do it. Um, But yes, go search for those who stray. You have to go out. You have to go out. Let's look at that last big point, last big idea. And it's found in in verses 15 through 35. It's this big... um, Question and answer time with 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 um, with the disciples, as well as a, a parable. So the question comes: You know, how many times should my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, and all that? And then there's the there's this parable, and and the idea is it's a simple one. It's just mercifully forgiving offenses, mercifully forgiving those who who offend you, who who cause offense, who sin against you. And, and verse, um, verse 15 says, if your brother sins, and you, could, you could probably put the word when it happens right in there as well. When it happens, go. <laughs> Take the steps necessary. You, and here's the point. You need to make the first move. Merciful forgiveness, mercifully forgiven offenses doesn't mean you wait with your arms crossed and you just wait till they come to you. That's pride. Merciful forgiveness is you making the first move, you making the initiative, you initiating the meeting, you initiating the context. The idea is courage to go. You've got to have courage to lay aside your pride and go and make things right, be reconciled. And then Jesus assuring and promising his presence ahead of time after the cross when he would be present with them Spiritually but it's being brave heart it's being courageous it's having no fear back in the 70s there was this there was this um, this guy in Hawaii who was a lifeguard his name was Eddie Aikau and he was was uh, was known as the one that would go when waves were 30 feet high and try to rescue guys that were, that were caught in the surf. He was the first, uh, 1968, the first lifeguard uh, at Waimea Beach on, on the North Shore. And while he served as a lifeguard, there was not one life lost on any of those beaches between uh, Sunset and Haluea. And uh, he... Uh, would, would literally go out there in 30-foot waves to go, go save people's lives. So this motto, kind of this slogan came out, Eddie would go. So there were all these bumper stickers and T-shirts in the Hawaiian Islands that said Eddie would go. I even had a friend here, I think Nike used it, and he had a, he had a sticker on his car, Eddie would go, you know. And, What's that? He you know, told me all about it. But the idea is he had courage to go when others wouldn't. And it was uncommon, but it shouldn't be uncommon in the body of Christ. We need to have courage to go and make things right and humble ourselves and do that. Think about it. Humility is really like a a, a golden thread uh, just weaving through this chapter. But then there's something else. It's not just, okay, I'm going to go. It's the idea that now with the offense, you will let it go. You need to have compassion to let it go. You need to be big enough to let it go. You need to be able to humble yourself uh, and have patience and and have mercy just like you've received mercy. And if not, Jesus makes it really clear there are consequences from God. And I don't know how, how that works out every time. I really don't. But I found that when I'm not willing to let something go, conflict remains. I'm miserable. The distance is widened. Uh, Feelings remain hurt. No reconciliation. But mercy. Compassion. And by the way, that's what God desires. Mercy. And by the way, that's what he desires of us. We are ministers of reconciliation. Compassion to let it go. When you have compassion to let it go, you are then free to go. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? When you have compassion to let it go, you're free to go and do whatever God's called you to do you don't have the compassion to let it go you're not free you're bound and so are they there, there's, there's captives being uh, held hostage and you gotta release the captive you gotta uh, free the hostages you gotta forgive the debts and by the way that's the, the more you do that the more Christ-like you are get this the bigger the, the forgiveness the more Christ-like you are the bigger the debt you forgive the more like Christ you're being I've found that unforgiveness frees no one you know, a lot of times it's like we're, we're keeping score. We're just, we're, we're all carrying around a scorecard and we're, we're keeping score and it's almost a competition. Well, I got less, it's, it's less, the less points wins in this one. And because the scorecard has all the things people have done against us and have done wrong. And we're marking them off, we're watching. Merciful forgiveness is really the only kind of forgiveness. That's really the only kind of forgiveness. Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' brand of forgiveness is the only kind of forgiveness that's, that's valid. You know, people will have their, you'll have your favorite, you probably have your favorite brand of whatever, you know. Say barbecue, okay? Uh, you know, personally, I think the best barbecue in America is in Russellville, Arkansas at Fat Daddy's Barbecue. I'm telling you, it's the best. Now, you're going to beg to differ. But when we get down to the forgiveness thing, it's the best. The merciful forgiveness by a born-again Christian is really, if you think about it, the only kind of forgiveness there is. See, God wants you to humbly trust Christ and joyfully care for other people, unselfishly care, and mercifully forgive offenses so that his church would grow in his love. That's going to happen when we do it. When a Christian humbly trusts Christ and unselfishly and joyfully cares for others and mercifully forgives offenses, it's going to speak volumes. You are proclaiming Christ when you do it. And then he grows his church. See, when we do these things that Jesus says we should do, we, uh, God is glorified. And believers are built up. And people see Jesus. That's what Jesus said in John 13. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And we can say it so glibly, but if we don't have love for one another, people will not see Jesus in us. And we won't be uh, infectious with the gospel as God wants us to be. If we are, it will go viral in, a, in the best possible way. I know, and, and we've seen it over and over again, but the problem, the, the, the thing that gets stuck the, in the wheel and, and, and keep, brings everything to a grinding halt is our sin. We're dealing with our sin and other people's sin. It's the enemy within, it's the enemy without. It's like Paul when he said in Galatians 4.19, my children, uh, with whom again I am in travail until Christ is formed in you. He was, he was reciting all these problems in the church and he says, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm laboring with you because because Christ is being formed in you, but it's a tough process. It's a messy process. That's why Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Christ is is in you, right? Uh, that, That God is at work in you both to will and do His good pleasure, therefore work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because He's at work in you, you can work it out. But it comes down to one thing one thing and uh, as the worship team comes back up I just want to point out this one this one thing at the end the very last three verses here really the last verse of this thing Jesus says so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother and that seems so so we see that as harsh we're like wow I, I, I don't believe Jesus said that well he did he did we can't get around that Jesus said that and Interestingly, at the end of almost every sermon of Jesus recorded in Matthew is a challenge to the disciples. A challenge. So it comes down to really a challenge. If you think about this idea of, of what's going on here and you think about what we are as a church, what we have said we're about. we said we're about worshiping God. we're about. Uh, building up believers we're about reaching the world you know you can get Matthew 18 out in in there the the idea of of worshiping God humbly trusting Christ the idea of building up fellow believers joyfully caring for others and the idea of reaching others for Christ Um, this idea of, of, of when we will will mercifully forgive offenses that makes the gospel so so beautiful to other people it makes it so attractive to other people. It's the idea that you go, you go do the things that Jesus says. You won't merely survive through life. You will thrive in Christ. But it, 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 takes, it really takes saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So think about it with me for a moment. Let me challenge you in this regard. If, if, if you are a Christian, will you wholeheartedly commit yourself to worshiping God? which will take a renewed focus on his word, which will mean saying no to some things and yes to good things, better things. And what about committing yourself wholeheartedly to loving the body, building up other believers? What you're going to have to face is, is there anyone I need to reconcile with? Is there any relationship that's fractured? Is there anyone, or is there anyone I need to encourage? And then the reaching others for Christ. You know, what's interesting is that when we do the things that God wants us to do between him and, and his family, we are so free to go and serve. In fact, take out that little card that's in your bulletin. It says, get out and serve. There are some opportunities we have right now. And I could say this. If you got the other two things at least going on, if you're not all messed up by, by some relational issue, then you are free to get out and serve. Otherwise, do your homework and get that other stuff done. Then come out and join us. But make sure you're free. Look at this card. And they've got work projects. We've got orphan ministry, assisted living ministry, prison projects. You might want to write your own idea on the back of this. But I want you to fill this out right now. And, and leave it on your, on, your, on your chair. And say, hey, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. It's simple. I'll join with God's people to do that. And hopefully it'll jumpstart a lot of engagement for the gospel in the community amongst those who don't know Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that all glory goes to you. And thank you, Lord, that you don't want us to merely survive. You want us to thrive in you and you want to grow your church as you see fit in depth and in people and and people coming to faith in Christ. And Lord, we pray, we thank you, we pray in thankfulness that you have allowed us to be a part of that process that you are are in the midst of. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.